0: Hey what's happening Welcome back to Cultivating Culture My name is Jerry And I am sitting here next to my friend Ollie, As always And we have got a guest for you guys today mm. Come on mm. Her name is Brittany And she's here to shed some light on mental illness and, um, and what she suffers with But before we get there I just want to put it out there again You know Liverpool won the league We won the league We are the English champions <sighs> You know just, I know, sitting next to a Man City supporter or a Guardiola supporter, just...
1: Yeah, yeah, facts, beautiful. facts. That is true. I don't know how it's much a of a true fan to, he yeah, is there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Guardiola fan. Uh, anyways, um, sorry, bro, I'm taking shots, but uh, I guess they're not working. They're just bouncing off, eh?
1: I mean, after that 4-0, I oh. uh, I know, I know. It's, 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 You have to take shots. So it is what it is. So you guys won and you deserve to win, so so we can move on um all right all right
0: no no no, i'll take it i'll take it all right we lost we lost um but we won the league anyways um on to the important topic the topic of the day um today we are speaking about mental illness and um what it means to Brittany. uh we you know we spoke about this um this idea of um speaking about mental illness on this podcast and me and ollie don't know anything about mental illness like 100%. um we're very uneducated and we decided to get someone in that is educated in their own way because they've actually they actually she's going through men like something of mental illness at the moment so um britney just um tell us like you, i know there's a lot a lot of things in mental illness what do you suffer from
2: Um, So I suffer from a condition called emotional dysregulation, Um, and then just quick disclaimer going forward, um, just for listeners, please do not confuse emotional dysregulation with bipolar, Um, that is very important, they are two different things um, with similar characteristics, but they are not classified as the same thing. Um, Yeah, so I suffer from emotional dysregulation, and then that causes um, depressive episodes, um, and they vary in length and in severity, and I also suffer from anxiety.
0: Cool. Um, Yeah, so as she said there, um, just, yeah, don't don't um, mistake mental. Um, sorry, what was that?
2: Emotional dysregulation. There we go. It's but a it's long a mouthful, word. Sorry. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's
0: a mouthful. And um, <laughs> 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 um, but anyways, um, so I think uh, the very first question for me is, um, Brittany, to you is, uh, <laughs> what is mental illness? You know, because for people out there listening, um, mostly, peop- some people don't know what mental illness is. Um, like to be honest, like, I also need to be educated. Um, What is mental illness? Um, Just, yeah, just a general question, actually. I'm not going to expand expand on that more or whatever. Um, Yeah. What is mental illness?
2: So mental illness, um, just to put it um, simply, is obviously – like it says in the name, um, the illness of um, your mind and your your um, psychological well-being and um, your emotions. So everything that pretty much goes on up in your head. Um, and just, um, just like how your body can become physically ill, your mind can also become ill. And just like every now and then... Um, you may get the flu. Um, mental illness can also come and go in that, in that manner. Um, some people suffer with mental illness for years and years and years. Um, some people may just go through seasons of mental illness, but just like the body can be sick for years and years and years or um, a couple weeks or a couple days, it's the same with your mind. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. Wow. Um, So I think for me, the next question to you is before um, Ollie um, asks you questions as well, is um, what is it like to live with your health condition? Because like I've known you for years and... um, (laughs) I guess I also suffer from something of mental illness uh, because I'm ADHD. I was diagnosed from a very young age. Um, But for me, I don't kind of see it that way because I just move on with life and I'm hyperactive. That's just who I am. Um, But I've had to watch myself in many ways, like in the way I interact with you and Mm. um, in the way I... It's it's in the small things, you know? Mm. It's in the small things. Um, So, like, my question to you is, what is it like to live with your health condition? At the moment
2: um it is it can be incredibly challenging at times, um especially when when you're in the working world and you actually need to be doing something with your life yeah. to make money to get to make rent and buy food and all those things um but yeah, I think growing up it was it was incredibly difficult because. I didn't really know what was wrong with me. Um, depression was always kind of like a taboo word for me. Um, I remember once one of my close friends was like, "Britney, are you sure you maybe don't have depression? I remember like panicking and being like, no, no, I can't, that's not something... I have, um, and really just freaking out thinking, no, I can't possibly have depression. I know that I, um, I did, I was aware that I did suffer from anxiety, um, but, and it was, it was more social anxiety in high school, um, but definitely leaving, it's definitely heightened, um, which can make day-to-day tasks quite tricky, um, Um, But yeah, I think it it was really tough, especially with the emotional dysregulation, which was a really big one. Um, So emotional dysregulation is obviously um, the dysregulation of one's emotions. So if you look at a graph um, and if that represents someone's life, the line, the x-axis, if you will, um, where it meets the y-axis at zero represents apathy, so you're not happy, you're not so you just bleh, in the middle, um, and then below the line um, is um, hypoarousal, so things like sadness and depression, and things above the line is hyperarousal, um, things like happiness and anxiety, and so there are there is a regulation zone um, above and below the line where you are able to both think logically and feel and when you spike outside of the regulation zone then you only then you only have the capacity to act on what you are feeling there's no logical process Um, and that can happen where if you see a snake you walk into a room you see a snake you don't think oh my word it's a snake oh my word i should react now i'm going to react it's i see a snake and now i'm reacting it's because you've spiked outside of the regulation zone. A family member could die. No one tells you, no, you should feel really sad now. Mm. And so, okay, I'm going to feel sad. It's You just act on how you're feeling. And so with me, I don't live in the regulation zone. I am constantly acting out of emotion. So I have a vivid memory of losing my wallet and literally I just saw red. I lost my mind and I was like, and in that moment it's, it's embarrassing because you're, you're not a kid and so you're kind of having almost like a temper tantrum and you having all these outbursts and you're thinking what could possibly be wrong with me? And because my family is very, um, my father is um, quite tough love with me and I am the oldest child. Um, And before I say anything more, please know I do love my parents. I hold nothing against them. They are uh, incredibly wonderful people and they did such a a great job raising me. But obviously with their generation, um, mental illness wasn't really a thing that was spoken about as much Mm -hmm. as it is now. And even now it's coming more into the light Mm -hmm. and people are speaking about it more. But back then it's no suck it up, Like, toughen up. You'd, like, put your big boy, big girl pants on and get on with it. And that was kind of how it felt growing up in my house. Um, And I was told often, um, you need to stop being so emotional. You um, need to put a smile on your face. Why are you so emotional? Stop sulking. Um, And that was really tough. So I really try to keep it all in and because I'm naturally an emotional person, anyone who knows me knows I'm emotional at the best of times Um, I give off a lot of emotion and more my dad than my mom really pushes back against that because he's not a super emotional person, but that's just the way he is. That was how he was born. Um, And that's something I've had to come to terms with knowing that I won't get as much emotional validation from my father as I'd like. And over time, I've Come, like I've become okay with that, but it was really tough because I didn't really understand. I thought, I honestly, for a long time, thought I was crazy. And then one day, I was under a bit of time pressure, and I was running late for something, and I couldn't turn left at a robot. Or for international listeners, a traffic light. Um, and I vividly remember losing my mind and putting my elbow through my window. Just my drive, just just put it through. And in that moment, I was like, Brittany, let's go talk to someone about this. (laughs) Um, Because that was a very expensive outburst. Um, And just chatting. So I see a um, psychologist once a week, and I've now started seeing a psychiatrist as well. Um, But just chatting and getting a space just to process how I was feeling and just literally just went there to be like, what is wrong with me? So I thought originally that I may have suffered from bipolar. So I went and thinking that. And we started to discuss this more. And when she put on the table emotional dysregulation and she explained it to me, just there was just such a relief because literally the only thing that went through my mind was, oh my gosh, I'm not crazy, which was such a relief because for a very long time, I thought that I was losing my mind, that there was something really wrong with me. And all I had was a mood disorder. Um, And from that day, it's just gotten so much better because I'm so aware of it. Like she gave me, um, it's called the worry tree. Um, And it is like it is for children, but it's so helpful. It's a Christmas tree. And at the top, it says, why are you feeling worried or anxious? Can you solve it? No let go of the worry. Like, can you solve it? Yes. How, like, when can you do it? Right now, solve it, let go of the worry. Later, cool, schedule it, sort it out, let go of the worry. And just like that, like having to retrain myself of thinking, what's the worst outcome? What's the most likely outcome? What's the best outcome of the situation? If the worst outcome happens, will it matter in a week, in a month, in a year? All these things, just to like, not freak out when things happen. Um, So, yeah.
1: Well, yeah. Thank you for um, sharing that. I think... um, Also, thank you for coming. Uh, I've said this a number of times off air, but um, it's cool to... As Jerry said earlier, it's cool to have these conversations and Mm -hmm. whether we like them or not. I think I have to say, personally, I'm not a fan of this conversation because I don't have any scale or... Hmm. um, yeah, just measure for it. So when Jerry said let's 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 chat about this, I was like, I mean, for sure, we'll, we'll learn at the very least. <laughs> Bring it through. <And>, <laughs> um, no, yeah, for sure. So I think cultivating culture is a space where we want to have conversations that are difficult for us. Yeah. Right? Um, we yeah. want to have more of those conversations, not not the ones that will make us look good, you know. Mm. Um, and I think it'll be cool if you can explain to us or and and. To the listener, how would someone who maybe doesn't know of anyone mentally ill mm. and they encounter a person who's mentally ill, how would they navigate that journey? What are they supposed to be looking out for? When are they, you know, insensitive? Yeah. Yeah, or yeah. yeah.
2: Um, so I think uh, um, the important thing, so probably the main thing that I would suggest doing first is find out what mental illness they suffer from because just like you have various different bodily illnesses um, that require different treatments, you have a variety of mental illnesses. It's no longer just anxiety, depression, bipolar, mm-hmm and ADHD, for example. It's no, lo- it's no longer just that, it's, there's so many things. Um, and so finding out specifically what the illness is I think will really help you in going forward and how you interact with that person and also how you deal with certain situations. Um, and I think a big thing is reading the room. So I know a big thing for me is if I'm in an area, and so I know that sometimes there can be unvoiced expectations, um, and so my resting face is not like, I, I do look like I'm very angry most of the time, and that's just my face, and I understand, There can be confusion with people who have resting faces like that. We know one where people don't really know if you're okay or if it's just your face. Um, But just reading the room. um, And I know that for me, if I'm in a really bad space and someone comes in and is super big and loud and trying to be funny, I literally just want to implode in on myself and hide under a chair because I'm like, wow, that's a lot right now for me. Um, and I have the emotional capacity of a teaspoon. Um, Yeah, and I think maybe just if you send the person a message, if you know that they're going through something tough. So I know for me, when I'm um, in an anxious space or in a depressive episode, I don't reply to my messages at all. Um, But I have had people message me and sometimes even phone me because I haven't replied to them and they know that I have been going something, going through something and just saying, hey, are you okay? And I don't reply to them, but it, it makes me feel loved and seen when someone messages me. And I think when you send that message, just have the expectation of not getting a reply back, just to take the pressure off the person receiving the message Um, because I know that I don't have capacity to answer messages. And sometimes it does freak me out because I don't... So I'm a big... I have this deep-seated desire for people to like me and that's like a whole other issue but it does and I want to please everyone so sometimes I can be a bit unsettled because I'm like oh my word I need to apply now but I can't I cannot focus on that and I have no energy to do it um but yeah just send a message or um chat to them and say um are there things that you want to avoid in conversation what should I be careful of saying around you um yeah, what are what are some of your conversational triggers, things like that, um, and just message a person, find out what their love. Languages, if you, um, if you, if they like hugs, then give them a hug when you see them and you know they're going through something, or give them a hug and even if you don't know what they're going through, um, or if there are words of affirmation, person, just I know it means a lot to me when people say yes, you're you're going through this and you're in this, but you're still doing well. Like you're still, you're still winning at life. Um, And I think something incredibly important, regardless if a person is mentally ill or not, is to validate how that person is feeling because there's nothing worse than someone telling you so good. Oh no, just get over yourself. Wow. That is, that's that really, that really can affect someone because then they feel like they're not being seen. Mm. And when you validate someone's emotions, it just makes them feel all the more better. Like, yes, you're in this space, but it's okay to be in this space. Yes. I see you. Yes. I see what you're going through. Even if you don't agree with what they're Mm. feeling, still validate them and make them feel seen. Because I think that's incredibly, incredibly important. And I know that a lot of these things may be out of people's comfort zones. Um, but, I like to think of it as um, my psychologist actually gave me this um, imagery, is everyone's born with an emotional toolbox. And in the beginning, it's super small. It's like the 50 rand ones you can buy from game. It's like a super cheap, easy one that you keep in the boot of your car. But as you go through life, you upgrade those tools. You get a nicer hammer. You get better screwdrivers. You can add a drill, a sander, whatever floats your boat. Um, (laughs) Like, um, And you just keep adding. And so, and you just, as you become more and more equipped to deal with situate, like emotional situations and some people's toolboxes will be bigger than others. So I have an incredibly large toolbox um, just because of what I've gone through, what I do go through and because I am naturally very empathetic. Um, Whereas my dad, on the other hand, doesn't have that big of a toolbox. So there is pushback when I give emotion. And there is, ah, oh, I don't know, like, mm. I don't I don't understand. There, there's a want to understand, but there isn't a conversation of help me understand because of not wanting to offend the person or upset the person. Um, and sometimes so I've had to accept my dad's toolbox is the size, the size that it is. And it's not going to grow. It isn't. And I've had to become okay with that. But I think it's incredibly important, especially for younger people, to keep growing their toolboxes. Because there will always be a tool in your toolbox to help you with something. Even if it's not best fitted for the job, you can make it work, which I think is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, But yeah, I think just chat to the person, find out where they're at, and just ask them like, what do you want from me? If they're, for example, having a panic attack, what do you want me to do? Do you want me just to sit here and not talk to you? Do you want me to get you something? Um, If they're um, having really bad issues at home and they haven't left their bed in days, like, do you just want to go for a drive? I can talk. You don't have to talk. We don't even need to talk. Let's go somewhere. I've done that with one of my friends a couple times, and they just really appreciate it because it gets them out of a headspace. We can chat a bit, and then... Yeah, and then they go home and they're feeling a little bit better. It may not do the world of difference, but it definitely, it definitely has some effect.
0: So um, I've heard people say this a lot about um, triggers and things that trigger like uh, a certain emotion um, in people with mental illness, right? Um, and like as for me, as a person that um, is. I, like I'm, I'm, I can't really sense. Like I can't feel a room sometimes when I walk in because yeah. I'm just that type of person. I'll just, I'm just loud, mm. and that's just who I am. Um, help me understand, like what, um, what, what is a definition of a trigger? Like what is a trigger? Um, and like because sometimes we s- we switch triggers very quickly. Yeah. Or, like from a person on the other side, like not knowing what a trigger is. Yeah. And then when something happens, we like. Sit in a corner and we're like, "Oh, well, I don't know what I did. Like, what did I do wrong?" Yeah, you know. But that other person, like the person that sh- whose trigger you've like,
2: yeah, switched,
0: is like freaking out, and you're like, well, "What the hell?"
2: Yeah.
0: Um, what is a trigger? Like for someone for a listener listening right now who doesn't know what a trigger is, like mm. what is a trigger?
2: So a trigger, um, just a brief explanation is just something that, um. Can happen. It can be like an actual physical event or it could be someone something says or something a person sees that sends them, um, for lack of a better term, into almost a downward spiral mentally. So, for example, um, I know one of my triggers is um, horror movies and really intense, like, psychological thrillers. Um, and I know that that can leave me, like the the imagery and the storyline especially horrors stay with me for days sometimes even months afterwards um and so i've learned i cannot watch horrors at all i think i've potentially seen two horrors in my life um and like even those and even i think one of them was the first purge and that's not even a great movie um but like even that is, it really stays with me and it makes me incredibly anxious. So that's a trigger. So I know, don't put myself in that situation um, because it really plays in my mind. Uh, for example, someone with um, an eating disorder maybe may see an image of a really slim, um, slender person, someone who has bulimia or anorexia, for example. They may see that and think, oh my word, I don't look like that and it could just send them back into relapse, for example, something like that. So it's just, it could be a physical event, something someone says um, or someone does that affects a person mentally that causes them to, in inverted commas, relapse into that negative mental state. But in terms of knowing what someone's triggers are, that is a conversation that you need to have with them. Um and either, either one of you can initiate it. Um, I think if, for example, Jerry, if you do something to trigger something in me, um, yes, that potentially could make me a bit upset, but you don't know. So then it's my responsibility to go to you and be like, hey, remember when you said that, yeah. not super helpful. Can we maybe avoid saying something like yeah. that? Um, so like
0: educating the other person. Yes, yeah, because
2: yeah. then it's just unvoiced expectations. And then I get offended and you get irritated because you don't know what you've done wrong and I'm irritated at yeah. you and offended because sure, you yeah. keep talking about the same thing that I haven't spoken <laughs> to you about. Yeah. And then it's ju- then it just becomes a nightmare. So I think communication is incredibly important.
0: Sure. That's very cool. So communication is important. Communication. Um and this is something I've heard a lot of people um say and um I think it's become and I I think we spoke about it in our um in our conversation just now, um, off air. Um it's it's a it's this thing of O C D. So mm. guys will walk in and they'll be like, you know, I want this computer to sit over here, you know, yeah. I'm so O C D about it. It's become like a norm for people to like use certain um like you can say like illnesses or something, yeah. even like ADD and ADHD. Yeah. Like, oh no, I'm just ADHD. Yeah, just ADD, I'm just OCD. It's fine. Yeah. But actually, like, maybe we don't realize like like people actually do suffer yeah. from like a hectic disorder of hmm. OCD and ADHD. Would you mind maybe like shedding light on people who don't like understand, like you know? Yeah. The importance of just not using that, Mm. like those illnesses willy-nilly. Yeah,
2: (laughs) yeah. So I think in doing that, it can be incredibly um, insensitive. Um, But also it just, it's like super um, invalidating. I don't know if I've said that word correctly. Unvalidating, invalidating. Who knows?
1: Just run um, with it.
2: Yeah, no, just, we're going with it. Um, yeah, it just, it doesn't, it takes away from the severity of someone's mental illness. And because mental illness is a serious thing. And, and it's, I think for a very long time, people have been like, no, it's just in your head. No, get over it. But it's like, if you have incredibly high blood pressure, yeah. you're not going to just – that's not in your head. That is yeah. – you need to sort that out. Same yeah. thing with your mental health. And I think people – like with the OCD thing, there are some things that, for example, in like really severe cases, some people walk into a room and have to switch the light on and off three times yeah. – because they believe that if they don't something bad's going to happen to their family, like that's the mind that can be a mind um, yeah. in the mind of someone with OCD. Yeah. and I think it's incredibly insensitive when people are like, no, I'm just OCD because it takes away it like it takes yeah, it takes away like the severity mm. from the condition and mm. it it almost like dumbs it down to not being as big a thing as it as it has the potential to be sure. so. Um, yes, people can suffer from, um, like, low level of anxiety. Um, I do believe that everyone, um, at least once in their life, has been anxious. Um, and so, and that that could just be, like, a really low level of anxiety. But I think when people joke around with it, um, it really, yeah, like, it dumbs it down and it almost, like, takes power away from that. Sure. Not saying that um we need to hold like mental illness in this or put it on this high pedestal and it's all high and mighty, but it it takes away from the seriousness of the condition is probably what i've been trying to say the whole time yeah um but yeah so i think when we just use it flippantly it just desensitizes people sure um and it just it just becomes a thing that we joke about yeah. um and there could be someone sitting in the room that's like Wow, that's incredibly invalidating. Um, And then it kind of prevents people from talking about it Mm. because they're like, well, are people going to take me seriously? Because every... Bob, Mm -hmm. Dick, and Harry have (laughs) said that they've got depression and anxiety and ADD and ADHD. And I really do have it, but I don't know if people are going to take me seriously anymore. Um, Yeah. Yeah
0: think one thing i've learned um like uh, also like being a youth pastor is um is being very sensitive in the way i approach certain situations um like i can like two years ago like a, a bunch of uh, youth actually um like died of suicide yeah um because of mental illness yeah and um I think it's so important even like in, in speaking of like, you know, don't, don't just say I have OCD or mm. ADD because sometimes I think people can be very much hyperactive mm. and you actually do not have ADHD. Yeah. You're just a very hyperactive yeah. person. Um, so I think my next question to you is, I, and I think I did ask you this question off air and I think you, you gave like a very well thought answer. Let's hope is, we can do it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you ever considered suicide? And um, if so, why did you choose to live? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think there might be someone listening right now and maybe they think, you know, mm. my life is over mm. because of what I'm going through and, like, I don't know how to handle myself. Yeah. And, and stuff like that. So, like, why did you, if you have ever considered suicide, mm-hmm. like, why did you decide to live?
2: Yeah. Um, So I have considered suicide. Um, It was, I think, up until last year, October, um, I really considered it. Um, And just because I just... So I think also really playing... So this was also before I started seeing a psychologist. And I really just felt like everything was always my fault and I was just getting in people's way and I just was making people so unhappy. And um, I don't think I was in the greatest space with my my parents. Um, I think I, yeah, I just felt, I think it was like a season of just like really feeling like I'd let them down with my life and disappointed Mm -hmm. them and just like, ah, like what is the point anymore? Just, it would be better. I wasn't here, um, and so my job. Well, before um, before COVID nineteen and before lockdown, um, I was a technical supervisor for a um, audiovisual company, and so that required a lot of driving. And I remember like having to drive um, or driving um, to and from site, and just like really gripping the steering wheel. Um, and just really just wanting to, like, put the pedal to the metal and just jerk the steering wheel and just drive into a ditch or flip the car or something. Um, Yeah, and I really, and for a very long time, I really, really considered that. But then I think also something that stopped me um, was the thought process of, um, oh, well you probably don't even deserve to get out this way, so knowing you're lucky, you'd probably stuff it up and survive. Um, and then that leads to well, like a whole other mess. Um, but yeah, I think I chose to live because I just... I realised that I, that I had a problem. Um, and I came to terms with having a problem. And I think when I did that things started to settle down and when I started speaking to people um when I was making people aware um I remember um I was driving to an action hockey game um a couple years ago and just I I don't even remember why but like all I wanted to do was just drive my car off the road um, and then I got back, and it was it was a youth night, so I'm a, I'm involved the youth with Ollie and Jerry, and it was a youth night. And my um, my boyfriend at the time, he kept asking me like, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" And obviously, being a woman, I'm like, "No, I'm fine. No, I'm fine." Um, willing him to telepathically know what was wrong with me. Um, but, um, no, and eventually, eventually I told him, eventually it all just came and I was like, I just want to drive my car off the road. I just don't want to be here anymore. I just wish I was dead. All these things. Um, and he said, you should like, I really think you should speak to someone. And I was like, no, we're not going to do that because so I hate talking about my feelings. I really, really dislike it because I, um, you, I used to view it and sometimes still do, unfortunately, as like being weak when you talk about your feelings um, and I'm I've always been like no I'm the strong friend I need to have my life together and people don't want to hear about my problems but people actually do and so my boyfriend at the time he actually contacted someone and was like please speak to Brittany and so from there we started meeting started chatting and I found that the more people I spoke to about it and just forced literally had to force myself to open up to people um and I didn't and this wasn't me spilling my whole life story. this was just telling people enough so they knew that there was an issue um it it almost started holding me accountable in a way to get, like live day to day if that's making sense like yeah. so the more people they knew the more reason there was to keep on living. And when you give people the opportunity, they really do pull through for you. And yes, people can be fickle and useless at the best of times, but people can also be incredibly amazing and generous and loving if you give them the opportunity to. And I really, really found this out during that time. Um, But yeah, I think... Yeah, it's it's an incredibly tough thing to admit that you wanting to do that. Um, and it is really, really tough. And I think um, choosing to live as well, and this isn't me um, like tooting my own horn, not at all, but I think it's an incredibly brave thing to come from that and to keep on fighting to live and choosing to live. Um, especially for people who are trying to battle it themselves, um, but I definitely found that speaking to people really brought a new perspective, and really showed me that people actually did care and people actually did love me. Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think if you if you're out there struggling with um, anything um, related to like mental illness, like. Don't stay quiet. Like, speak to a loved one. Um, yeah. Speak to people because um, I think bottom line is family and people do care. Mm. People around you do care and um, seek help. Um, and it, as Brittany said, it's not that easy. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely helpful. Um, Ollie.
1: Yeah, I think, um, can you speak to the fact that a cu- most people I speak to about this conversation, um, they don't know... They don't have any story that's close to home Mm. about mental illness. So then the conversation becomes it's an excuse. Yeah, people use that Mm. to, you know, hide behind whatever the reasons are, get a pass in society. Mm. So yeah, can you speak to that? Do people um, hide behind it? Is it using an excuse? Um, Yeah, does that help the conversation? Yeah,
2: just yeah. Um, I I think I think I'm going to be honest now. Hopefully, I don't offend too many people's mental illness. Um, but yes, I do think that people do hide behind it. Um, but yeah, I think it becomes tough. There's a very fine line the way I see it as, as being in a space of like a, of being in a dark place and then just being apathetic and complacent in that space. So, yes, there is a time to feel what you are feeling and to live in that and work through that and live that out. Um, But then there also becomes a time where you become complacent and comfortable in that space. So a um, a practical example is... um, during lockdown, um, so I do the admin and operations um, for the youth, um, for Jerry and for Josh, the youth pastors. And so this requires, so everyone was filling in feedback forms and there were a lot of Google sheets and drives and all those things. And I remember I was in the middle of a depressive episode for about a month, um, but also I had started some new medication. So it literally was a bit of a dog show. Um, but it just for about two weeks, I could not, I could not do anything. I could not open my laptop. I just had no will to live. And when I say no will to live, it does, it, it, that's not coming from a desire to end my life. That's coming from a desire to lay in bed all day and stare at a wall. Um, like literally I just want to become a potato in bed. Um, and yeah, and for two weeks I was in that. And then, I started to feel like I could start doing life a bit more. Um, like, yes, I could open a laptop. Yes, I could do a bit of admin, but I chose to live in that state for another two weeks. Um, and that was me using my mental health as an excuse because I had become comfortable and complacent in that space. Um, and I was just using it as like a get-out-of-jail-free card, Um, which isn't okay, because, again, that it doesn't aid in the fight for mental health. Um, Yeah, it really sheds a negative light on mental health, so please hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. Um, Again, I do feel like you need time in that space to feel what you're feeling because what you're feeling, even if it's completely irrational, still matters It's because it's how you feel um, and no one can tell you otherwise because that's what's going on for you and that's okay. But as soon as, I think you'll know when you can start doing things um, little by little, but when you choose to live in that vegetable state, if you will, Um, then I think you can start using that as a get-out-of-jail-free card, which I don't think is helpful because no one should be living in that space permanently. Um, And I understand that clinical depression is a very real thing, um, but I also know that some days are better than others, and that's coming from um, personal experience, that there always is a better day. It may not be 100% better, and it may not be all sunshine and daisies, but there definitely are some better days than the really bad days.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. I think Thank that,
0: you. yeah, that's a that's a very good answer. Um good question, Ollie. I um, think what one well, not not last question actually. <laughs> um another question for me is um are they from my side? Um, and for someone who doesn't suffer from mental illness, uh, illness, sorry, um, are there any behaviours I can change um, or be mindful of to avoid causing f- further harm? You know, to people with mental illness. Um,
2: um, I think again, like we were speaking about in the beginning, is just it's just reading the room. And so, if so, if you are aware that, so for example you Jerry, Mm. you know, like you can see when I'm not in a good space. Mm. And then you know when you come in being a chop, Mm. I'm at the end of a very short rope. (laughs) Um, So it's it's reading the room, Um, but that's also, I think you need to have an honest conversation with that person if you are wanting to know, because it differs for everyone. So sometimes I'm in a really bad space where I don't want to hear a really bad joke or I don't want you to be loud and up in my face. But there's some days where I am still not in a great space but a better space and I can hear a really bad yeah. joke yeah. and you can be up in my face. Sure. Um, so it really depends on the person and also, again, the type the type of illness. Yeah, um, yeah it varies from person to person, but I think... Um, Yeah, there's an honest conversation that needs to be had, Um, and if you're not aware of someone who has a mental illness, then I mean it's on them to – like, if you just being yourself, yes, they can get irritated, but then after they get irritated, then they need to come and speak to you to ask you to change – how you behave good. in certain situations, um, and maybe even just like have a code word. Just be like I don't know pineapples, and when I say pineapples, you guys know that if you come near me, I will break you in half. Yeah, like just you need you need to communicate. And you need to be honest. You need yeah. to be honest. You d- and it you have to be vulnerable. Yeah, and with mental illness, you have to be. As much as you may hate it, you really need to be, you don't even need to be super vulnerable. Just be vulnerable enough for people to see that you're going through something and what you're going through is legitimate. Um, Yeah, and then from there, it's, it's a journey for everyone. And sometimes you'll get it right. Sometimes you'll get it wrong. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know what I find um, with um, like mental illness, it's all in the mind. So you can't as like for me, like I can't really see what's happening in your mind. Yeah. As with physical heil- illness, like you can literally see the person sick, mm. um, and like when they go for an exercise or something um, that's gonna make them feel better, you can see like okay, cool, this person's working out. Yeah. To feel better, so like. My question to you now is, like, what do you do for your own mental illness just mm. to, like, keep, you know, going? Yeah. Like, on a daily basis, like, um, you feel bad and maybe you yeah. want to do something that just kind of, like, uplifts your soul a little bit. Yeah. Or your mind, rather. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so, like, what what sort of activities do you do? Like
2: yeah. Riding, so, dog, I... Your cat. <laughs> you try and walk that cat. <laughs> He'll die. For those of you who know... Smick is still alive. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I. My um, oh mind's gone blank. I. Um, so, I do various things. So, something I've done personally for me is I've taken myself off social media. Yeah. Don't have Instagram, don't have Facebook, don't have TikTok. Um, the only thing I have is Pinterest. Um, just because it would just, it wouldn't make me feel great about myself. um, Seeing like videos of people living all these happy lives. And I, I know that life behind the camera is never what it is on camera. Um, But try telling your irrational brain that. Um, yeah, so took myself off because I, I found myself starting to l- try and live my life through these people, um, and it just wouldn't make me feel great about myself because, oh, I don't look like her, or, oh, I can't travel like they do, or, oh, I don't have a boyfriend, or, oh, I don't have cool clothes like that. Um, like, I doubt, so um, I was never really that into TikTok when it came out. Um, but we all know that TikTok is a black pit of death. Um, so occasionally I would like spoil myself and, uh, and download it and then do the nine hour binge and then delete it. Um, but I remember once I just had such a bad mental spiral and I was like, I'm going to die alone. I'm never going to find a boyfriend in my life sucks. Um, pretty much what I literally said that to my therapist the next week. I was like, I'm going to die alone. Um, and it just it's so interesting how social media affects everyone differently and so from that day i had to make a decision to not download tiktok and yes those things still tempt me cuz i'm like oh just a look but we all know a look turns into 9 hours very quickly um yeah i um go for walks with my dog um yeah when i feel like i just need to get out and be by myself and be in my head um i one of my favorite um Podcast series is um, no such thing as a fish, um, which is by the QI team in the UK, and basically it's just four people, and they research four random facts for the week, and they talk about it, and it is incredible. They speak about hagfish and sausages and trains and bridges <laughs> and just like the random, like the randomest <laughs> things, like an, a crocodile has two aortas, one to the stomach and one to the lungs, like random things like that and it just did really funny and I love British humour, if you love British humour go check it out, Um, shout out to them, love them Um, I collage online um, found a really cool collage site and basically I sit down I'm like, how am I feeling let's put that into words and sometimes they're incredibly dark and sometimes they're light and fluffy and they're full of colour and it's awesome and I actually made one today and there were people screaming and crying and there was fire and there was drowning and because that was just how I was feeling. So I put it on the page and kind of when it's on the page, you're like, oh, there we go. And you can make it look pretty and <laughs> it's great. Um, I um journal, not often, Um I always used to think that journaling was like stupid. I really, really did. Um, But then you write and two pages turns into three and then you're on like your 10th page and you just like, oh my gosh, everything is coming out of my brain. It's amazing. Um, And it's cool because your journal can't judge you. So when you like, oh, this person really irritated me. I literally just wanted to stab them in the face. The journal's not being like, wow, are you okay? The journal <laughs>
1: <laughs> like
2: you can just write whatever you want, and it's amazing. Yeah. Um, um, but then again, different and so those are healthy coping mechanisms. Um, but they are unhealthy coping mechanisms. Um, like emotional eating. So um um I'm having a really bad day, so I'm going to eat two loaves of bread and four slabs of chocolate, you know, just not help. So it it makes you feel better. Is that the healthiest thing for you to do? Probably not. Mentally and physically, not great for the body. Also, you'll probably feel really bad about yourself afterwards. Um, And also um, sleeping. So depending on what day it is, And if you need to be living your life and getting stuff done, not helpful. But if it's a weekend, sure. So both are coping mechanisms. But again, you have harmful and you have helpful. And something I found is, um, depending on how anxious I'm feeling, I read. Um, And I've actually recently purchased the most amazing book ever. It's called The Emotionary by Eden Sher. I recommend everyone to get it. Um, It's a dictionary full of made-up words, for um, uh, feelings that we can't put into words but exist. Wow. And it's incredibly validating. And I remember reading the reader's note, and she was literally just saying, like, she'd she gotten a 92 on a trigonometry test, and there was something else going on, and she was just not having a great time, and so she... Um, She was like, what was the best thing for me to do? I smashed my brand new laptop on the ground and broke the doorknobs off my dresser. Um, And then she said, and while I was left to cry in my fit of rage, I started wondering, why am I like this? Am I the only one? Why Why can't I vocalize how I'm feeling? Because often in our minds, we're like, we are crazy. What is going on? Um, and it's it's all happening and you're like, I'm literally the only person who is feeling this way. And in reading this book, it made me feel so validated and so seen because it literally, there are others out there. There are people out there who go through this and you're not the only one. And it's in purchasing this book, I I like unconsciously became part of this whole community of people that feel the same way as I do and think as illogically as I do and as irrationally. And it just, it makes you feel seen and validated and heard. And it's really nice to have words for feelings that you yourself can't even even articulate. Because often they aren't even words to explain how you're feeling because it's so ridiculously crazy and twisted and weird. Um so I would highly recommend getting that book. It's great.
0: Come on, get that book. Get that book. <laughs> get that book. Um yeah, I mean, already for me like this has been a very educative um if that's even a word, um conversation. Um on my side, like um I'm always like willing and there to learn more about um these illnesses yeah. like, there's certain things that I don't know um, I'm pretty sure there's certain things you don't know that you can learn from me yeah. and this is why cultivating culture mm-hmm. you know um, we want to talk about all sorts of things all sorts of conversations um, doesn't matter how hard or um, how easy sometimes it may be like we're going to talk about them um, and yeah I think for me one last question yeah. and um, I think Oli if you have anything after that Go for it, bruv. Um, one last question from my side is um, can a tra- traumatic event in one's life, right, cause mental illness? Because I've heard sometimes that um, sometimes you're born with it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And sometimes it comes from like a traumatic event. Yeah. Can it happen? Like, can it from a traumatic event, or some? Is it just like a chemical imbalance that happens, or?
2: Yeah. So, um, you can be born with it. So, um, d- depending depending on the illness, so yeah, the yeah. um genetics can play a part. Okay. Um, but also, so for example, PTSD, post traumatic stress disorder, yeah. um, is a mental illness. Um, and obviously we get that from traumatic events. Yeah. Um, and. Some, some events, um, people view differently. So whereas I may think something is extremely traumatic for me, mm. um, or where to you might be being like, okay, cool, let's move on with our day. Um, so it's, it's how we perceive things. Yeah. Um, so I remember, so I'm a lifeguard at um, Big Bay Beach. And two years ago, I think, two, three years ago, Um, we, um, my squad was on duty and we were packing up for the day and, um, we, um, got a call that there was a possible drowning. And so we raced down, we couldn't find the person. Someone was like, no, I think there was a body in the water floating there. So now we like, it's like 10 kilometers of beach here and we don't know. So now we're looking. And so I went with, um, another guy to get the rescue boat. And we took the boat out because we were going to start grid searching the ocean. Um, And then we saw they were on the beach giving him CPR. And so we were all involved in that. And um, I did CPR on the guy and the paramedics were there. And it was a whole thing. And you, I remember looking at him and being like, Oh, please Jesus let him live. And long story short, he died. Um, And I think the frustrating thing was he was hypothermic and someone who's hypothermic you can't declare dead until their temperature has regulated. Um, And so we did CPR for 40, 45 minutes um, and he'd been in the water for ages, about an hour and a half. Um, And just like the hopelessness of it you like what what is the point and because obviously now with my emotional dysregulation and not knowing that it just really really sent me into a downspout of a lot of guilt because I'm like if I got in there sooner so I was one of the last responders so a lot of other people got there before me and yes I still did CPR and I was still involved in trying to resuscitate him I still, they were still like, I could have done more, I could have done more. But the person, I remember the person who got him out of the water, um, that really, really affected him. Um, And he had to go for counseling and he was fine. And then I think a couple months later, it it hit him again. And he really struggled with it. So traumatic events really can do that to you, Um, especially if you don't deal with them. Um, so even when you do deal with them, you may suffer from a mental illness, but probably not as severely as if you don't deal with them. Um, so that that was just that was just a personal experience for me, um, and I think I think I did go into a depressive episode after that um, for a couple of days. I was like I literally could, and I was very anxious after that all the time. And I remember to get myself out of that, I went and sat another duty a couple of days later, um, on a quiet day. And I remember every time, um, one of the main lifeguards looked at his phone, like my, like literally, it felt like my heart stopped because so I was like, I can't, I can't do another drowning, I can't. Um, and it's interesting because sometimes I still remember that. And I remember what his eyes looked like. And his name is actually Neil Breslin. He was from Belleville and he was 50 years old. Um, And the really tough thing for me was they just summed it up to be a suicide, which is like a really crappy thing um, to do. Um, But, and I think, I think what really affected, what really affected a lot of us was. no one knew who he was for two weeks. He could have been a homeless guy. He could have been a foreigner. Like there could be people missing him. And just like that downward spiral of thought processing, like what if his family's looking for them? Will we ever find out who he was? Like where he was from? Like he had a home. What if he had kids? Like what if his wife was pregnant? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if I'd in there sooner? What if I could have done more? All these things really just play into it. Um, And I think that's the same with any traumatic experience, whether it be a car crash, an airplane crash, a boat sinking, someone being shot in front of you, death of a loved one, um, all those things. I think if you don't manage your mental state properly after that, it really can be, um, quote unquote, a gateway to mental to becoming mentally ill. Wow.
0: Sure. What a what a tough conversation. Um but thank you so much for being here.
2: Brittany.
1: Yeah no thank you for having me. Yeah I think uh, I've I've been literally staring at you this whole time you've been speaking. But um yeah thank you again for I guess we came to you in a way and you came to <laughs> us. Yeah. But um yeah like I think this definitely deserves a a a more broader conversation. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if that looks like a part two or definitely. I don't know season um, two. Yeah, but yeah. this was highly educational. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, and yeah, just for the listener out there, um, this conversation is mainly based on um what the struggle that Brittany goes through. Yeah, um, it's not the broader mental illness. Mm. This is based on emotional dysregulation, right? Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, so um, if you may be thinking like, why did she respond that way? Because yeah. of it's of because of what she's going yes, through. Yes, yeah. Um, so yeah, just to put it out there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and if you're listening, as I said before, and you um, you you you're trying to figure out like, should I get help or whatever? Like, I would highly recommend get help. Yeah. Get help. Um. Speak up. Don't stay quiet. I think um yeah, the and reason we're having this conversation is to also educate our friends mm. out there that don't know anything about mental illness. Yeah. That it is a real thing. That um we should actually um as as people that have not gone through mental illness, we should be sensitive yeah. to the other party. Um so yeah, um <laughs> that is sixty minutes of talking. Um, Sorry, can I add something? Yes, please. Sorry,
2: Um, just saying that's quite helpful. um, Sorry, I've just been thinking about it now. Is try if so. If you do have a mental illness, something that I found is quite helpful is don't label yourself. Don't say I am depressed, Mm. I am anxious because then you're just labeling yourself, and it's it's not helpful because then if you if for example Jerry, if I say to you every day for a year, you're fat, you're fat, you're fat, you're gonna stop believing it Mm. because that's what's being said to you over and over again. So if you keep telling yourself that, it worsens your mental state. And so even when you're talking about, um, so one of my friends suffers from depression and anxiety, um, but I don't go, they are depressed, they are anxious. I'm very conscious of my wording Mm -hmm. because I don't want to label that person. Um, And also, just a quick disclaimer, I have been clinically diagnosed with these things by a qualified counselling psychologist. Um, And please don't go onto the internet and start diagnosing yourselves um, because that could also really not help your mental state. Um, Seek professional help. Um, because So I went into my psychologist's Um, psychology session, my first one thinking I had bipolar and it was something completely different. So don't go around self-diagnosing because that's not helpful for anybody. Um, So I would advise if you think that you may suffer from something, it's probably best to just go speak to someone. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And what, what I've said about emotional dysregulation has been, I, ha, I did go and research it. It has been highly researched. I have spoken facts. I'm not talking yeah. out of my ass. Yeah, um, yeah and I, I have been clinically <laughs> diagnosed. It hasn't, yeah. I didn't just pull this out of the air and be like, this is what I have. Um, uh, this is amazing. Yeah.
0: So yeah, thank you very much Brit.
2: oh Come on. You. Um,
0: if, you, if you guys don't know, we released a podcast last week. Um, on gender-based violence and yeah go and listen to it as it's well good. let it's us know good. what you think britney says it's good, good. Yeah. she's listened to it um let us know what you guys think um yeah we open for comments and um like you can review our podcast and let us know like you guys said this wrong or you guys didn't say mm-hmm. that um yeah we are, we are open to that and yeah And just to let our international listeners know, we are proudly South African. So most of our our podcast um, and the information that we have is going to be mostly South African-based. I just want to put it out there. Um, And I know that it's Ollie's heart as well. Um, Yeah, and follow us on social media, uh, cultivators underscore. It's there. us, slide in our DMs, whatever whatever you want to do. We will get back to you in 24 hours. (laughs) We will get back to you. And <laughs> In 24 hours I'm now
2: part of the crew <laughs>
0: <laughs> Come on Oli Any last yeah, words?
1: Um, yeah I think It's ending here um, yeah. It's been a Good conversation Until Definitely. the next one um, Yeah, Subscribe Comment All those things If yeah. you're on Apple Podcast Please leave a review Come But um, on. If you're Spotify Or anything else Yeah More power to you Enjoy And um, until the next one Yeah Cheers